here today. Happy Labor Day weekend. Y'all glad it's Labor Day weekend? You get a day off tomorrow? All right, yeah. A little few fun facts about Labor Day. Uh, Labor Day is the third most meat-consuming holiday of the year. I guess behind, uh, yeah, carnivores are like, yeah. Uh, You know, uh, behind July 4th and Memorial Day, there's more grilling happening on Labor Day than any other time of the year. Also, Labor Day is the birthday of Waffle House. First Waffle House started in 1955 on Labor Day. So celebrate tomorrow by going to Waffle House, all right? And uh, this part of the message is brought to you by Waffle House. No, not really. And then the third thing is that Labor Day is one of the highest travel holidays of the year. 25% of people are traveling travel on Labor Day. 85% of those that do travel, travel by car. So if you're watching online and you're driving, keep, please keep your eye on the road, all right? Both hands on the wheel at all times. You know, cars are a lot safer now than they used to be, for sure. Uh, I had some friends that got a, got a uh, couple of friends that had cars during the COVID season, and they got all these special safety features, right? Like they have the 360 camera, like it shows your car and everything all around it. How do they do that? I don't know, satellite? I don't know what it is, but it's crazy how they do that. One, one uh, my friends, they have a car that like if you veer off, then it veers you back on. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It like takes control of the wheel. I guess they're saying, boy, he's dumb. You know, he needs some help, right? Get him back on the road. And then they got all these alarms. If you're like veering off and there's somebody in your blind spot, these alarms that go off. Back when I was driving, we had these things called mirrors that we used. And you had to turn your head, you know, to actually, you don't need to do that anymore, all right? Just watch the little screen. Uh, but, you know, the reason why they do that is because, man, if you got somebody in your blind spot, it could be dangerous, Right? If you don't know that they're there and somebody's there, it can be really dangerous. You can, you can have an accident if you're unaware of somebody in your blind spot. Well, the same thing is true in your own spiritual life, that people can have blind spots. Blind spots that prevent them from seeing who Christ is, present them, prevent them from seeing the gospel. Blind spots that present, uh, prevent them from seeing God at work in their life. And so what I want to do today is I want to show you uh, what those blind spots may be in your life, all right? So I want you to take your Bible, I want you to open it up to the Gospel of John uh, chapter 9. Gospel of John chapter 9, just open up your Bible. And uh, uh, we are in a series called Changed, and we are looking at individual people that their life was dramatically changed by Jesus. And uh, so today we're going to look at a guy who was blind and how he gained his sight. But that's not the real miracle of the story. Let's just jump right on into the story. Uh, John chapter 9, verse 1, this is the word of God. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, 
He spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. Have you ever had moments in your life when you ask God why? God, why, why is this happening to me? God, why is this tragedy fallen to me? God, why am I going through this problem? This story really starts with a why question, a why God question. They are walking in Jerusalem, and they see a man that is blind, that is begging, uh, which if you travel overseas, you see this very commonly. And they stop to ask a question, and it's more of a theological question than it is a compassion question, right? They say, hey, Jesus, who sinned? Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Now, the reason why they ask this question is because in Judaism, there is a very clear link between sin and suffering. And their mind is that anytime someone suffers, there is a sin that caused that suffering. And so they're asking this question to Jesus. Now, Jesus quickly puts this question to rest. He says, this is not a sin issue. This person is not suffering because they sinned or the parents sinned, but this man is blind because God is going to do some work in his life. In fact, look at verse 3. So that God's works may be displayed in him. Now, by the way, this is really good news if you are dealing with an illness or a disability in your family. Uh, many of you know that my sister was born deaf. And so we wrestled with that from her birth, you know, and, and what is the purpose in all this? And there was a time when she was a young girl, I asked my father, she said, why hasn't God healed me? And he said, honey, I don't know, but I do know that God has got big plans for you. And actually, God has used her in many ways to plant multiple churches to deaf communities and to share the gospel in deaf contexts. And God's used her in an incredible way in the way that she was made. Well, this man was like that. He was born blind. And yet, in that moment, God was going to do something great in his life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I'm the one that gives light. And I'm the one that gives sight to anyone who will see who I am. Now, while he's telling this uh, to uh, the disciples, he is actually at work, and he spits on the ground, and he creates mud, and he starts putting it on this man's eyes. This is a little bewildering, rather strange way to heal, right? I mean, Jesus could have just spoken, just see, right? And he had done that before. He had just spoken miracles, and they happened. Uh, he could have waved his hand over the guy, you know, in some way, but he doesn't. He, he puts his hands on him. And I think there is something beautiful and significant about that, that Jesus wanted to be hands-on when he healed someone. He touched the leper. He touched the cripple. He touched the person that was possessed by demons. He touched this blind man because he was personally interacting with this individual. And he told him to go wash his eyes in the Pool of Siloam. Now, the Pool of Siloam, by the way, is still in Jerusalem. When you go with me in April to Israel, that's my little shameless plug, all right, come with me. I will take you to this very place. In fact, they've actually excavated this down to the stones that they believe are first century. So you can actually stand on the very stones where this blind man came. This is not a parable. This is an actual event that happened. And so this man, he says, go to this 
uh, Pool of Siloam is a very popular place, a large uh, flowing pool. And he said, there, wash your eyes. And so just imagine this guy, he's got mud on his face. He is going, he's feeling his way, probably rushing, I would think, probably full of anticipation that maybe this is going to work because he's never seen before. He finds his way to the edge of the pool. He either jumps in or maybe he leans over and he starts to splash water up on his face and wipe it clean. And as he does, he begins to blink a little bit and then, and then he can see. I mean, he's, listen, think about it. He's never seen the sun before. He's never seen his parents' face. He's never seen a cloudy day or a tree or colors. And now for the first time, his eyes were open. I wonder if it might have looked something like this. Pretty remarkable, isn't it? Just think about how that man's life was changed. Incredibly changed. But the miracle of his physical sight is really not the point of this story. If you just read it for that, you're missing the point of it. The point of this story is how Jesus brings spiritual sight to those who are in spiritual blindness. That's the point. And the real miracle is when somebody goes, man, I was so blind to who God was. I was so blind to God's purpose for my life. I was so blind for why I'm even here. And now I have a totally different perspective. How does God bring sight, spiritual sight, to someone who just doesn't see it, doesn't see the gospel, doesn't understand who Jesus is, doesn't understand what the whole thing is about the gospel? How does God bring sight to that person? Well, there, there are a couple points here that I want to point out to you. First off is this, that in every case, when somebody gains spiritual sight, Jesus always takes the initiative. You look at this story. Jesus was the one that went to this man. Jesus was the one that saw his need. Jesus went to the man that was desperate for sure, but Jesus took the initiative in this case. There was not one thing this man did to earn his own healing or even rather to participate in it, but Jesus 
took the initiative. Now listen, when God brings spiritual sight to a person, I don't fully understand how this works other than the providence of God and the grace of God. He begins to work on that person's life. He begins to draw that person, begins to to awaken that person. He begins to uh, get that person's attention. Think about what your life was like before you became a Christian, right? You were probably cruising down. You were doing your thing. You were living your life. And then all of a sudden, maybe it was a crisis. Maybe it was a problem. Maybe it was a curiosity. Maybe it was just a longing in your own heart or soul. But at some point, God began to draw you and awaken you to your need for him. You know, Jesus is getting his initi- taking the initiative. If you flip back to John chapter 1, it says about Jesus, he is, the, he is the word of God, he is God, and he created the world. And yet when he came to the world, he created the world, did not recognize him. Why? Because we are all spiritually blind. All of us are born spiritually blind. All of us, every one of us. And it's only by the initiative of God can we ever begin to gain our sight? Jesus always takes the initiative. The second thing that we get from the story is this, that when he begins to get our attention, when he begins to woo us and begin to draw us, then our response, if you want to have your spiritual sight, is to respond in faith. That is to take the next step of where Jesus is leading you, to take the next step in seeking him out, all right? That's what happened with this man. He puts the mud on his eyes. He says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And you know what this man doesn't do? He doesn't say, well, why are you even touching me? You know, why are you putting on my face? Uh, why are you telling me what to do? Why am I have to do that? What's going to happen when I do? What if I don't want to do that? You don't hear any of this debate or discussion. He just does it. He just goes. He responds in faith. You know, a great verse about this, you might write it in the margin of your Bible, right next to this story is Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6 says this, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you get that? He said, if you want to draw near to God, if you want to be awakened spiritually, if you want your eyes open You've got to first believe that God exists, believe that God's the one drawing you, believe that God's the one intercepting your life, and take a step of faith. That's what it takes. You know, some people will say when they're talking about maybe a a great three-point shot to win the ball game, you know, uh, the basketball game or something, and they'll say, man, dude, you just got to see it to believe it. Man, you just got to see it. You just got to see this to believe it, right? You've heard people say that. But in your spiritual life, it's the opposite. You really have got to believe it to see it. You've got to start with saying, you know what? I believe that there's a God, and I believe that God is getting my attention, and I'm willing to take the next steps of faith. That may be a Christian invites you to church, and you go, all right, I'll go. Or uh, somebody gives you a Bible, and you say, all right, I'll read it. Or maybe you have questions, you start writing them down and asking God to bring you answers to these. But as you do that, as God is working in you and drawing you, and as you're responding in faith to that with baby faith steps, then the third thing happens that actually brings sight to you and that you have an encounter with Jesus. That's what happened with this man. He gained his physical sight, but like I said, that wasn't the real miracle. The real miracle happens down in verse 35. 
Just look at your Bible and run your finger all the way down to verse 35. Jesus encounters this guy after he heals him sometime later. And Jesus asked him a question. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And he asked, uh, he asked and Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. You see, Jesus began to work in his life and drawing him. The man responded with the next steps of faith, going and washing his eyes. But that led to an encounter with Jesus where he came to understand his own sinfulness, his need for Christ, and his conversion experience. That's, that's how it works. The real miracle in this story is the man's salvation, not the man's physical healing. The healing was short-term, right? He was going to end up dying later. But his spiritual conversion, his new life in Christ was the big miracle. And by the way, anytime a person comes to faith in Jesus, it's a miracle. I tell you what, I just lived life long enough to know that it, when if someone is converted, and someone's come to Christ, when the light came on, the, the veils uh, was dropped, they begin to see him for who he is. It's never about how good the preacher was. It's never good about what that last stanza, that last song. It's never about that. It's always about God working in that person's life. And sometimes you get to just watch a miracle of them coming to life. It's a miraculous thing. Now let me ask you, is that your story? Can you say, yeah, I remember a time when I was blind and I was lost and, and, I, and God started getting my attention and then I began to take some baby steps of faith and it led me to a point where I had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he's changed my life and boy, my life is so different than it was before. I hope that that is your story. I hope it is. That could be the end of the sermon. Boom, right there. But it's not, all right? You're thinking, boy, Craig, he's landing the plane early. No, 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 we're not done yet. If that is not your story, then there may be a reason why, and I believe that there are blind spots that keep us from seeing Jesus. In fact, the more I've shared the gospel with people, the more I've talked to people about their spiritual journey, I find that there are four major reasons why people don't see Jesus the way you do, don't experience him the way you do, and don't come to him the way you have. Four blind spots, and they're right here in the story. Here's the first one. Jot this down if you're taking notes. First blind spot are questions. Questions can often be a, a blind spot that keeps us from uh, experiencing Christ. Look, uh, look at verse 8. It says, His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Isn't this the one who used to be sitting begging? Some said, He's the one. Others said, Nobody looks like him. And he kept saying, I'm the one. It's me. Look at verse 10. So they asked him, then how were your eyes open? Okay, obviously this man's healing has caused a great stir. They're like, okay, is that the guy that's always been sitting there? I think it is. It kind of looks like him, but man, how is this possible? And, and th there's a big stir because of this guy's physical healing. Now listen, they're asking questions. Many times there are people that are asking questions, but the questions are not leading to answers. They just settle in in only asking questions. You know what I'm talking about? Questions in and of themselves are good things. If questions are leading you to truth, right? Questions are great if they're leading you to seek out answers, but there's some people, they're just more satisfied with asking questions, but never pursuing answers. And so the questions themselves become barriers 
to the gospel. Some of those questions are theological. Well, how, how, why is Jesus the only way? And, and, and how can a loving God send someone to hell? And is the Bible really true? These are theological questions that need to be answered. Some are moral questions like, why is this lifestyle wrong? Or why is this choice a sin? And how do I know if I'm a sinner? There are some questions that are more personal, like, well, why did God allow this tragedy in my life? Or why, why did I grow up the way that I did? How can God, you know, how could God have allowed that to happen? These are questions. But listen to me, while it's great to ask questions, questions are never uh, the end result, right? Questions are a means to truth. But there are some people that only want to ask questions and only hide behind their questions and never see the gospel and never see Jesus. I remember when I was a young pastor, I was, I was young. I, I mean, I had hair back then, all right? I had hair back then. And, uh, and this man came up, young man came up to me and he said, I've got a lot of questions. I said, fantastic. I love questions. So let's sit down and talk about it. And so we had some questions. And so we sat down and I was sharing in the word the answers to these questions. And, we, and, and what I found is over the course of time, this guy was not really looking for answers. He just wanted to hide behind his questions. And finally one day I said, you know what? I don't think you're looking for answers. I think you just like asking questions. That questions was a hindrance to him. Listen, question could be a blind spot for you if you are only asking questions, but you're never seeking answers. Questions may be a, a blind spot for you if you love the debate and you love the dialogue, but you have no interest in truth. Questions may be an answer for you if you are um, happy to... Uh, ask the questions, but unwilling to trust God that some, of, some answers you're just not going to have this side of eternity. There's some things we just don't know, things that are mystery, and only will we know ultimately and finally when we stand before God himself. But if you're not careful, listen, your questions can actually be a blind spot that keeps you from the gospel and salvation. Another blind spot are traditions. Traditions. Now, in this story, the, uh, the, he goes from the neighbors down to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees start asking him questions too. What happened? Who are you? Uh, who did this to you? When did this happen? Now, when they ask the when, things start to get a little dicey, all right? Because they discover that Jesus actually healed this guy on the Sabbath, which was the Jewish traditional day of rest. It was illegal to do work on the Sabbath. And immediately when they heard that he did it on the Sabbath, they're like, oh, well, uh, he's, this is not of God. Yeah, I know you were born blind and you can see, but obviously this was not of God because it doesn't fit our tradition. Tradition, right? Uh, in fact, look at, uh, look at verse 16. They, they say this, this man is not from God, speaking of Jesus. Why? Because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, but how can a sinful man perform such a sign? And there was a division among them. See, they were saying that, well, he doesn't fit our tradition. Now, listen, your tradition is any mental framework or belief system you have that helps you view what the world is. We, we oftentimes will call this a worldview. Some people have a religious worldview. And so they'll say, well, I can't accept the gospel because I'm Jewish, all right? I'm Jewish, that's who I am, right? I can't accept the gospel because I'm Muslim. And we just saw last week, right? Sophia's 
powerful story of how blind she was. And only when she heard the gospel and, the, and literally the veils came off her eyes that she could see the glory of the gospel. Some people say, well, I'm an atheist, so that's who I am. And so I, he doesn't fit in my atheistic construct or worldview. Some people have worldviews that are political-minded. Some have worldviews that are philosophical-minded. But the point is that if you're saying, well, Jesus has got to fit into my prescribed rubric of how I see the world, then that rubric is going to keep you from the gospel. It will blind you to the gospel. Listen, your tradition may be your blind spot, if you rely on your tradition for your salvation. Well, I know I, I, I was baptized when I was an infant or I was confirmed at this age or I, I've always been Baptist, man. I was, ba- I was born on the back pew, you know, or my daddy was a deacon. My mama was in the choir as if that has anything to do with your salvation, right? But if you're leaning on your tradition or your affiliation instead of Jesus, then your tradition can actually be a blind spot. It keeps you from the gospel. Um, if you're quick to dismiss the gospel because it doesn't agree with your ideas, if you place more value in man-made rules than God's word, then these things can actually keep you, your traditions can keep you from the gospel. Let me give you another one. Fear. Fear is a blind spot. Uh, so they goes from the neighbors to the Pharisees, and then finally the parents get involved. The Pharisees call this guy's parents in, they, they want to interrogate them. And so they say, is this your son? Well, yeah, it's your son. And, and was he born blind? Yes. And so how do you explain the fact that he can see? And they're like, we don't know. <laughs> Why don't you ask him? We weren't around. How are we supposed to know? And then I want you to look at what, look at verse 22. And it says this, his parents said these things because they were afraid. They were afraid of the Jews. Since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as the Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. Fear. Listen, some people uh, have a blind spot of fear that keeps them from the gospel because here's, here's how it works. They say, you know, if I give my life to Christ, then I'm going to be rejected by my family because they'll never understand that I've become a Christian. I had one friend of mine that uh, he said, Craig, uh, I grew up in a home that was of a different religious group. And he said, my parents would rather me be a drug addict than a Christian. He said, they, they don't understand at all. Their eyes are completely blinded to the gospel. I was talking with a guy this last week about a a lady in New York City that's an actress, and she had been on several feature films. She had been on some daytime television. Uh, She was had a a, a climbing, uh, wonderful uh, potential of a career, and she was she was auditioning for a part in a major film, and she went to the the director and said, "I really can't say these things because I'm a Christian. I really can't say these things." And he said, "If you walk away from here," You will never work in this city again. And she walked away because she's a follower of Jesus. And she never worked in secular television or movies again. Now, God went on to use her uh, to produce productions that glorify God. And so God had a different plan for her. 
But see, that's what many people are afraid of, man. If I'm a Christian, I can't advance in my career. If I'm a, if I'm a Christian, I'll never, I'd have to break up with this guy I'm dating. If I was a Christian, I'm going to lose. It's almost the rich young ruler kind of mentality that if I do that, it's going to cost me too much. And so fear can actually keep you from the gospel. Some people are afraid of what Jesus will ask them to do. Man, if I give my life to Christ, then he might ask me to teach seventh grade boys in Sunday school. And who can do that? You know? Who can survive that, you know? Or he might send me to Africa, or, you know, or he may do, say, you know, totally destroy my life. No, no, no. God knows why you were created. He's got the best plan for your life, but people are afraid. Listen, fear may be your blind spot if you're more concerned with what people think than what God thinks. If you're so afraid of the future that you can't trust the God who loves you, then fear is keeping you from life change. Let me give you one more. Pride. This is probably the worst of them all. Pride. The Pharisees are continuing to get more and more frustrated with this guy. They're not getting any answers. And finally, they keep asking more and more and more questions. And finally, this guy, I just love this guy. He goes, hey, you're asking so many questions. Do you want to be his disciple too? I'm sure that went over really well, right? You know, and, and they're like, what? And then they just kind of lose it on this guy. And this is what they say. Look at it. Look at uh, verse 28. We're Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke through Moses. But this man, we don't know where he's from. You get it? Man, we are Moses' disciples. We've got to figure it out. We don't have a need. We're all right. You're the problem. We're just fine the way we are. Pride, self-reliance, self-righteous. Whoo, that comes in all stripes, doesn't it? I tell you what, I think this may be the biggest blind spot of them all. That so many people come to a point where they go, I just don't need God. Craig, you know how much I make in a year? You know how much money I have? Do you know what I've accomplished? I don't need God. I'm just fine. I'm not a sinner. I don't have a problem. I don't believe that. I, 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 I. And my friend, that is deadly. Absolutely deadly. I had a friend that came up to me after the first service. He said, yeah, my big brother, I, he got, I got saved. And I went to my big brother and I said, uh, you need Jesus, man. You need Jesus. And the big brother pulled out his wallet and said, this is the only God I need. And I got plenty of it. He said several uh, I don't know, about a year or so later, his wife left him, took him through divorce court, which spent a lot of that money. He lost his business. He was crying at his mother's kitchen table when this friend of mine walked in and said, what's the matter? He told him all that he had lost. And he said, why don't you come to church with me? He said that next Sunday he was sitting on the back row and he gave his life to Christ. Why? Because that pride had to be broken. My friend, you have to be broken to follow Jesus because you have to acknowledge that there's a God and you're not it. You have to acknowledge that you have sinned against this God and judgment is coming for you, but that he provided the only way for your escape and that you are in desperate need of forgiveness and you humble yourself and you ask for forgiveness and you surrender your life to Christ. That takes submission and humility. And if you have pride, you just won't do it. 
And your pride can blind you from the truth. All these, think about all these blind spots, your questions, your traditions, your fear, your pride. This one man didn't let any of those things stand in his way. I mean, he was just desperate, right? He was just ready. And and when Jesus came to him in that moment, he was willing to trust him and do what he asked. And he had an encounter that changed his life. Ultimately, when they, those Pharisees were asking him questions over and over and over, he said, look, one thing I do know is this. I once was blind, and now I see. I'm a changed person. I don't care what you think about him. I'm changed. John Newton, who wrote that great uh, hymn, Amazing Grace, he really borrowed this line. He said, I once was lost, and now I'm found, once was blind, and now I see. If you're a Christian here today, you should be very thankful right now that there was a time when you were blind. You just didn't get it. You didn't see your need, didn't see who, who he was. And that God pursued you and he opened your eyes and you took those baby steps of faith and you had an encounter with Jesus. And you can stand up today and say, man, I'm a different person. And if you are not a follower of Jesus, the chances are good one of these blind spots are keeping you. There are two kinds of people in this world, those that are changed and those that are not. And the real question is, which one are you? Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Maybe you've been allowing these blind spots to keep you from Jesus. You've allowed your traditions or your questions, your fear or your pride to keep you from experiencing what this one man experienced and that is life change. But this is your moment. When I think about this blind man, I think about the fact that that day he got up in his blindness like he always had. He got dressed like he had done many, many times before. He made his way, feeling his way through the crowd to his corner where he always sat. He held out his cup and he begged like he had always begged. But he didn't know that that day Jesus was coming by. The Savior was going to intersect his life and change him forever. And my friend, today you may have gotten up like you always get up and it's going to be a normal day, but Jesus knows right where you're sitting. He knows right what you're dealing with. He knows right what you need. And the Savior is coming. He's coming your way. And if you're willing to trust him, if you're willing to call out to him, if you're willing to believe and put your faith in him, he will change you like he's changed millions of people before. To give you sight, to see things you've never seen before. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that right now, just with you seated. Maybe you're watching online and you're sitting in your couch or you're driving in your car or you are 
at your kitchen table, but God's speaking to you right now. This is your moment, this is your opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Then I want you to just bow your head to right where you are. And if you're here today and you say, Craig, I just need to be changed. I need to know Jesus. I need to be right with God. I've been hiding behind these blind spots for too long. And right now I feel God working in my heart. I feel him drawing me. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you even right now. Then just with your head bowed, I just want you right where you are, just lift up here and say, Pastor, pray for me. Just lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. As you lift up your hand, you're just lifting up to God saying, I just need, Lord, I just need you to see me and I need you to change me. So just lift up your hand right now, all right? All right. Even if you're watching online, you can just lift up your hand. God sees you. God sees you. But you're just saying, I just need help. I just need to be changed. Okay. All right, you can put your hand down. I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you and I've been so blind to your love, so blind to who you are. But Lord, you've opened my eyes now. And Lord, I just confess my need. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. So I'm asking you now, please, have mercy. Today I choose to follow you. Fill me with your spirit, God. I want to follow you from this day forward. Father, I just thank you so much for your grace and your mercy and your kindness to us. Lord, that you would choose to stir our hearts and draw near to us and capture our attention. Lord, that you would even give us the faith to respond to you and that you promise to change every person that you encounter. So Lord, I pray that you would change us. And Lord, I pray that as we go into this week, that we would see through your eyes, we would see people the way you see them, as either lost or found, that we would have compassion on people that are hurting, that we'd be quick to share, share the hope that we have in you, Jesus, that we would see with eyes of faith, and Lord, that we would please you in everything that we do. Lord, open our eyes. Use us in this season. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said.